Welcome back. We are moving into chapter two of brain energy and um, some strong feelings about this chapter. <laughs> you want to kick it off? Uh, Should we so, give the title? Yeah, give the title. Um, what causes mental illness and why does it matter? <laughs> so the, the, the chapter seemed frustrating to me in that it would talked about the same things over and over kind of again. And I, you, you ever feel like you read a chapter in a book or you read a lot of pages in a book and you go, I could have summed that up in about 30 seconds flat, but yet you wasted an hour and a half to two hours of my life. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, so probably the first chapter in a lot of these books that I've read in a while that I just was like, get to your point because it's, he could have summed it up, I think with Occam's razor. Right. And, and we'll talk about that in a second. But so the chapter, the book is starting to say, trying to paint a picture of how it is to how hard it incredibly hard it is to to figure out what causes mental illness. Spit it out, man. <laughs> to figure out what causes mental illness. I mean, that was what he was trying to point it out, that it's extremely difficult and that, you know, symptoms alone don't don't determine mental illness. And I think I think that was understood already by a majority of people. I don't know if that was well, so I, I'll, I'll share with you the the phraseology of frustrated. Um, I, I, it's like at the end of it, it's like, you know, to your point, why did I just go through that? <laughs> but in reflection, um, I think it's necessary to um, kind of lay out the groundwork of why mental health is so difficult. Um, he, he gets into a bunch of different analogies throughout the chapter um you, you know one of them we were just talking about was the um it, you know it's causation or correlation and you know one group has a runny nose one group has sore throat another group has both um you know what's the cause he 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 did one example where he talked about a fever and in the fever there's a certain part of the brain that becomes active i guess right uh, that they can measurably see is is active um you know and if you interpret that data the wrong way you'll end up thinking that they have brain damage your brain or, or that it was a chemical he said something that it was a chemical issue that issues of the brain are caused by chemical imbalances and right and that's not when it's a fever from a virus i guess that was the whole thing he could have summed it up by saying hey really we can't just look at a lot of symptoms and determine what it is causes mental illness and i think that maybe early on in the chapter was one of the highlighted things he talks about ptsd and he said but only one in 15 people who experience such trauma end up developing PTSD. So he's kind of painting a picture that trauma in itself doesn't create PTSD or PTSD is not created by trauma. Right. Right. So you in, in the brain, you have a lot of these different symptoms, but it, I guess maybe it's on the heels so, of, of doing the, the great, great cholesterol myth that it's the same thing in heart attacks. Right. I mean, Heart attacks are caused by, eventually caused by the root cause you would seem to think would be insulin resistance. But 
it goes six steps further down the line when you really want to think about that. I think, what did he call it? A cascade of symptoms? Right. That, so to your point, he, he, he used the obesity causes heart attacks angle. And he said, well, that's not true because then people have them too. And if you can take all the people who've had heart attacks and look at their cascade of symptoms, then you might start finding correlations that the skinny guy had one and the fat guy had one, but they both ABC. Right. Right. So um, I kind of want to cascade of symptoms is, is a good way to put it, I guess. Yeah. 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 So in fairness to the chapter, he does briefly go through kind of the history of mental health in the study of mental health. He, he talks about Hippocrates. He talks about um, Sigmund Freud. He talks about in 1977, a guy named Dr. Engel who um, came up with the biopsychosocial model um, for mental health that basically they're biological factors, psychological factors, and social factors. So, um, So he does kind of like lay the groundwork for where it is as a science Um, and, you know, kind of how frustrating it has been all along the way and into the modern science of trying to study all three factors. Right. But then the large chunk in the middle of the book was called decoding depression. Mm -hmm. And basically I don't remember how many pages that was, but it was pages and pages of circular. And he's making a point that we can't really decode depression. No, because it's just a circular argument, no matter which argument you take. Right. And a lot of people you know, have depression as a quote unquote disability. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm saying it's so hard to prove and it's so hard to decipher if you have it. Right. right. I mean, so hard to like, do you have depression? I mean, he goes on to say virtually all neurological disorders are associated with higher rates of depression, including strokes, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and epilepsy. Right. So. Every other psychiatric disorder puts people at much higher risk for also developing major depression. It's like depression is one of these core symptoms, it appears like. But. Right. I mean, you can have depression because you had a stroke. Right. You know, so. Oh, uh, he actually gave a really interesting example in the pancreatic cancer. That you would you the obvious correlation would be well yeah people that get cancer would become depressed from that right <clears throat> but he said there's data that demonstrates that a certain population of depressed people end up getting pancreatic cancer why pancreatic I have no idea you know it, is it because it's a hormone factory that's putting out insulin um, you know so you're messing with the hormone system by being, I don't know, but, um, yeah. yeah. And then he talks, uh, talks a little bit about, uh, chemical imbalances, right? And another, how, right. Another and, theory that another doesn't theory, close the right. loop. Another theory that doesn't close the loop again is chemical imbalances and that all, you know, um, of these mental illnesses are caused by chemical imbalances. And he's like, not so fast. Right. right. Um, 
he said if that was the case, you'd be able to, to just basically prescribe all these drugs and alter the chemical imbalances. And that's what a lot of prescription drugs try to do, the Prozacs and all of those others. They try to affect the neurotransmitters. And for a short term, that might be a let's get you out of state of depression. And he goes, there's the, the one case about, I guess, the guy um, whose wife left him at a critical period of time. Oh, yeah. And. You put him on a antidepressant and you get him through that state, and then he's, then he's back. good to go forever. He's good to go forever. Now, the goes on basically to say there are other people that that you do that with, and they won't be good to go. And there's 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 troughs, there's valleys, and there's hilltops, and valleys and hilltops for yep. the rest of their life, whether they're on the meds, the chemical balancers or not. Um, he went into several points of that. Um, I won't read them all, you, you know, but he's like. Um, what causes a chemical imbalance in the first place? If are you born with it, you know, if you're born with it, why aren't you depressed from day one? Day one, you, right. you know. So all of the you ever seen a depressed baby? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. So um, I, you know, again, man, it was it was kind of a frustrating chapter to to um to read, but kind of understanding the history and understanding that every time we think we have a breakthrough, whether it's the bio psychos, whatever method or the chemical imbalance method or psychotherapy or inflammation that none of them have been able to answer the question. I, I guess that's what my frustration was at the end of the chapter. I was like, we still don't know what causes this problem. <laughs> so maybe, you know, we got a lot of symptoms. We got a lot of theories. I mean, he talked about the learned helplessness theory Learned helplessness theory is that people basically learn that they can't affect the outcome of their change. Right. Right. And thus they are just, I become depressed because I'm like Eeyore. Uh, the world doesn't like me. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's learned helplessness, right? Uh, he talks about cognitive behavior, behavioral therapy. I've heard of this one, CBT. This therapy is based on the belief that when people are clinically depressed, it's likely because of thoughts are based not so much on the reality of their current situation as is on the helpless mindset of developed in the past. That's people like to live in the past and that their future will never change. It will always be the same just because of the way they've learned that. You know, it's rained 26 days in a row. It's going to rain tomorrow. Right. Right. You know, um, talked about antidepressants a little bit, um, you know, that basically, again, fixing the chemical imbalance is neither here nor there. Um, to your point, inflation, psycho in, inflation, inflammation, inflation would cause me depression today. That's, <laughs> that's for sure. But um Right. Uh, I, Occam's razor. He talked to you. You've mentioned Occam's razor several times before. You want to talk a little bit about that theory? So, yeah, Occam's razor is, is basically the theory that the most obvious answer is likely the right answer. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, he uses an example where um, a guy shows up and he's got what was it? A headache, the runny no nose and the sore throat. And. Occam's razor would tell you there's one thing causing them all, whereas you could theorize that the sore throat was from event A and the runny nose is from contact with substance B. And the headache know, is because his wife hit him in the head yesterday. <laughs> you know, so, so basically you would come in with a collection of symptoms and Occam's razor is what do all those symptoms have in, in common? Um, that's 
the most so, likely. So is answer. that really the the whole? That's where he's leading with this. Is the cat? You mentioned the cascade of symptoms. Is that where this is leading? Is that? I think well, because if you read how he closes the chapter, um, da, da 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 da. As you will learn, this is literally the last two sentences. As you will learn, all of this research has already taken place. Um, the evidence has been gathered. It's just no one has put it all together. That's what this book does. Okay. So um, I'm still. Really I had no hope, and book. now I have hope. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I felt um, like that whole chapter was like, yep. All all these theories still don't know what causes mental illness. Yep. And and to the point, he's, he is talking about the cascade um, right above it, the cascade of events that lead to mental illness. And he's saying that we have all the data, just no one has put it together. And um, so he leads into chapter three, the title searching for a common pathway. That one should be should be good. I, it was frustrating, but I did enjoy it, that chapter. I know, I know, but understanding answers, <laughs> understanding <laughs> yeah. the difficulty of getting those ans- answers for literally for hundreds of years. I, I understand, but it's it's it, it, to me it's no different than any other area of medicine. It's no different than any other area. B- but it is we in one main way, right? We can't have the random controlled testing. Or does anyone else give this group this virus, give this group the placebo, see what happens? I, I beg you to can't differ. mess. I beg to differ. We have had that issue in nutrition all along. Now, we might have it in drugs where you have a, a legitimate, legitimate control group. but No, but you can't subject a group of people to um, child abuse. And then study that effect on depression. No, but my point regarding nutrition is it's hard to follow a half a million people and you can't keep them in one building and make sure they all eat the same food and they all have the same environment. That's where I was making that connection. Okay. It's the same. Yeah, you can't subject somebody to child abuse. No. (laughs) But the same thing happens in the nutrition world. It feels like in a lot of these areas, we we are... we need to throw out symptoms as a it, – it, I even saw something on Twitter yesterday. It was like 580,000 prescription drugs, not one of them designed to cure anything. So, I mean – All symptomatic. All symptomatic. Not one of them cures. 580,000 – Tylenol for the fever. Right. And that's that feels maybe maybe it's on the heels of that that I became a little frustrated reading this chapter. I'm like, yeah, dang it, it's what it's all they do. Uh, oh, it is. They don't fix anything, and it's no different in mental illness. Here's yeah. a pill. Sorry, my rant again. <laughs> all right, I'm interested. Do you need I'm, to see a, a therapist for anger of management? Some SSRIs. <laughs> If I come back mellow tomorrow, you know why. (laughs) All right, Dr. Palmer, it's a good read so far. Uh, We look forward to diving in further. Um, Brain energy, questions, comments, concerns, hit us at snackcast at yes.fit. Stay moving. See ya.